Okay, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, if you want to turn there. If you're in the New Testament, it's a little over halfway. Um, you're, you're, you've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You've got the book of Acts. And then you start with the letters um, of the New Testament, most of them written by Paul. So you've got Romans, you've got 1 Corinthians, then 2 Corinthians. So we're in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 5. And I just wanted a chance to really um, to come back and kind of tie up um, those loose ends related to um, that work series, to have the chance to, to talk to Kylie. Um, I've actually got five or six more sermons I could do on work that in the future I'll do them occasionally, maybe on Labor Day for the next few years, I'm not sure. But there's one I want to come back to that to me really summarizes and wraps up a lot of what we talked about, and it is in 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to find in 2 Corinthians 5 that Paul's going to give us another metaphor of how to look at our work. So we know we're to be gardeners, we're to be restorers, prophets, priests, kings, and queens, right? But he's going to give us another metaphor, and it is found in chapter 5, and I would really like if you would read it with me, so I'd like you to stand. I want you to have your Bible open because we're going to walk through the text but initially, if you could read it with me, this is out of the NIV, and it's Romans chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 14 to chapter 6, verse 1. So if you would just um, read aloud and follow along. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. So, another metaphor, and I want you to tell me what it is. In this text, what are we called to be? Yeah, ambassadors. We are, we are called to be ambassadors. Um, specifically, we're to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be. So, that's a fourth metaphor. And so, what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you five things I learned in this text of what it means to be an ambassador. Five things of what it means. I'm going to talk about the heart motivation of an ambassador, the posture of an ambassador, I want to talk about the mindset of an ambassador. We're going to talk about the work of an ambassador. And then finally, I want to share with you the main pitfall that an ambassador encounters, the main pitfall. So I want to jump in. First, we have the heart motivation of an ambassador, and it's in verse 14. So if you look in your Bible, 
Here's what Paul says. Christ's love compels us. His love is what compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And so what this tells me is that the thing that drives me in my, ambition, in my mission as an ambassador of Jesus is the love of Christ. That's my heart motivation. That's the thing that drives me. His love for me and his love for everybody else because we're going to read in verse 15, he died for all. And so that love compels me. And so because of that love from Christ to me, it should overflow into me loving others well, everybody around me in my places of work and influence. But not only that, his love motivates me not just to love others, but it should motivate me to love him in return for all that he's done for me. And it should overflow into a desire for him to be honored through me and a desire to make him known to other people in his great love. So as, a, as an ambassador, as a follower of Jesus, that's my heart motivation. It's not rule following. It's not having a spiritual checklist that if I, do, if I check these things off or whatever, that I'm a spiritual person. What drives me in everything is my love of Jesus, his love for me and my love for him. That's the thing that's the heart motivation, especially as an ambassador. And then in verse 15, secondly, there's a posture. Paul talks about the posture of an ambassador. And in verse 15, he says this, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So this is my posture as a follower of Jesus, as an ambassador. My posture is that is one of submission to him as Lord of my life because I realize he gave everything to me, and so in return, I want to give everything back to him, and that's the posture that I take. I want to live for him and for his purposes. In the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, I realized the fact that I am not my own and that I was bought with a price, and that price was his blood. And because of that, I take a posture as an ambassador, as somebody who is in loving submission to him as my Lord and as my master. So that's the posture of an ambassador, right? The heart motivation is his love. That's what drives me and compels me. My posture is I want to take a posture of submission to him, the one who gave everything. And then there's the mindset of an ambassador, the mindset of an ambassador. That's in verses 16 and 17. Look in your Bible here. So from now on, we regard no one, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, or because, if, any was in, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So because of my new life in Jesus, my transformation in Him, that I'm a new creation in Him. Because of that, I see people differently. I no longer look at the people who I work with, who I live with, who are in my neighborhood, um, my family, my friends. I don't look at them the same as I did before I encountered Jesus. I now see everybody through the lens of the cross. And as is often said, at the foot of the cross, uh, it's, it's flat, right? Nobody's better than anybody else. We are all loved. He died for every single one of us. And when I see people, I see them through that lens. That's the mindset that I have. That I see people, when I look through that lens, I see people as lost sheep who are desperately in need of a shepherd. That is the mindset that I have. That is the way I see everybody in my workspace, at home, wherever in my neighborhood. I see them as lost sheep, desperately in need of a savior. I don't see people as my enemies, which is what our culture is calling us to, right? If people don't agree with you, they're the enemy. It's slash and burn. But that's not what we do because in the words of Paul, I've, I've referenced this before in Ephesians 6.12. 
Here's what Paul says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay? Everybody you work with, everybody in your neighborhood has flesh and blood, right? That's not our enemy. That's not who we struggle with. Our enemy, he says, is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So my mindset towards people around me is one of love and compassion, seeing them as lost sheep who need a shepherd. And I do this because I'm a new creation in him. He's made me a new person. He's given me a new way of thinking about him and of seeing people, and I look at them through the eyes of Jesus. So I've got the heart motivation of an ambassador, which is that the love of him that compels me. I've got the posture, the posture of submission to him as my Lord. I've got uh, the mindset that I look at people differently now than I used to. And with those things in my pocket, then I do the work of an ambassador. And the work of an ambassador is going to be found, you'll see, in verses 18 to 21. Again, if you have your Bible open, you have this on phone, like scan through verses 18 to 21. If you look through it, you're going to notice, as you look through that, that there is a word or a form of a word that occurs five times, and any time a word is repeated, it's really important. What word or what form of a word do you see repeated several times in this text? Yeah, the word reconcile, reconciliation. Five different times it occurs in this text. And that's really important because that means that reconciliation is at the core of my work as an ambassador of Jesus. So when I talk about the work of an ambassador, reconciliation's at the core of it. Now, our work as an ambassador requires, it has three tasks. There's three tasks that are in this test, text, three tasks. Um, the first is found in verses 18 and 19. So look at verses 18 and 19. All of this is from God. So everything we just talked about is from him. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So the first task of an ambassador is we have a ministry of reconciliation. That's my first job. That's your first job as an ambassador. Um, there's a companion text to these verses. There are two great texts where Paul talks about the, ministry, the reconciling ministry of Jesus. It's this one, and it's Colossians 1, 19 to 20. And I want to share that with you. In Colossians 1, 19 to 20... It says this, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself, how many things? We've referred to this before, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through blood shed on the cross. And so in these two texts, here's what we learn, that God through Christ was reconciling the world to himself, and by the world he means people people's sins. He was reconciling people to himself. But on the cross, he was doing more than that. He was seeking to reconcile all things in creation to himself, everything. He wants the whole creation back. So what I learn in these two key texts is that God longs to reconcile. His deep heart longing is to reconcile all people to himself. But more important, not more importantly, equally important or as important, uh, to reconcile all things to himself. I would say the centerpiece of that reconciliation is the reconciliation of people in a relationship. That's the centerpiece, but that's not the end of it. It goes bigger than that. It's the reconciliation of all, thing, all things. And that is why, that reconciliation of all things, that is why all of your work matters. Not just you sharing the gospel at work, that that's gospel ministry, and the rest is kind of second class. It all matters. That's what I've been trying to teach with the whole thing of, 
of gardening and restoring and prophet, priest, and king. And as Kylie talked, very limited in her ability to share the good news of Jesus where she works, right? But she has a ministry of reconciliation. She can join God in the restoration of all things. And that's what she's doing. Um, all of us were called to be that. So I want to remind you, if you don't mind, that we're all called to be gardeners, that all of us are called to take the stuff of creation and where we find disorder and chaos, we're to bring order out of it in our place of work for the flourishing of all people. That we're all called to be restorers. This comes out of Jeremiah 29. Remember when he says, Leave, live for the peace and prosperity, the shalom of your city. That we're all to be shalom bringers. Um, that we're all to give people a taste of Eden and a taste of new creation in our places at work. Never perfectly, but where there's brokenness, that we're to give a taste of Eden. And that we're all called to be prophets, priests, kings, and queens. That all of us speak truth in some way. We're called to proclaim the truth of God. We're all called to be priests, to embody his love and compassion. We're all called to be kings, to lead in our places of influence in ways that are life-giving and shalom-bringing. That's what we're called to. And when I'm working, seeing myself and living intentionally as a gardener and as a restorer and as a priest and as a king, I want you to know you're engaging in the ministry of reconciliation. That's what you're doing. You're doing that first task, that ministry of reconciliation. But we have another task. We have a message of reconciliation. We have a message of reconciliation. In your Bible, look at the end of verse 19 and on into verse 20. He says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So that appeal, that message, is our second task as an ambassador. Before I get to the content of the message, I need to talk for a minute about the very end of verse 20, if you don't mind. I want to take a closer look at it. In the NIV, the last part of verse 20 reads, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that reads, the way they translate that, it reads as if he's telling the Corinthians, he's begging for them to be reconciled to God. Um, but I, that's not what's going on with Paul. I want to show you what this reads literally in the Greek, okay? In the Greek, it literally says, for Christ, therefore, we are ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal through us, we implore, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And what I want you to see, even though you're like, that's Greek to me, is there is no you in there. There's no you in there. He's not saying, you be reconciled to God. That's not what he's saying at all. I think the Christian Standard Bible and the New Living Translation nail Paul's intent. When the Christian Standard Bible translates, we plead on Christ's behalf, and this is the content of the message, be reconciled to God. In the New Living Translation, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So at the end of verse 20, he's not telling the Corinthians, I want you to be reconciled to God. They've already come into a living relationship with him. They know him. What he's saying is, here's the content of the message we proclaim. Be reconciled to God. That's our message to people. Come back to God in the most simple form. That's like the gospel. That's the thing that we're to proclaim to people. And so as ambassadors of Christ, we implore people, we long for people to come to be reconciled with him and to know him. So that's the second task, is we have a message. A ministry, a message, and then finally, the third task of an ambassador. It's implied in verse 21. And it actually explains, helps explain why verse 21 is there. So look at verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin, or the NIV note says to be a sin offering, 
to be a sin offering for us so that in him, in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I want to preach that last phrase because what Paul says is really important. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so in other words, here's the third task of an ambassador. We are to model that reconciliation. We're to model it. And here's why I say that. Um, ben Witherington III and his commentary on this and on the last verse of 21, here's what he says about when it says become the righteousness of God. He says when Paul, what Paul is talking about is our condition, not our position when he speaks of becoming the righteousness of God. You know, if you read the New Testament much, you know that when I accept Christ, that positionally, that God now, like his righteousness is, is um, like imputed on me. And like positionally, it's as if I have the righteousness of Christ, right? Positionally. But in this text, he's not talking about positionally. He's talking about literally our condition that we as followers of Jesus are people who are becoming the righteousness of God. That, you know, when we come to Christ, I receive the Holy Spirit and he comes inside of me. And he begins to produce in me the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. We could, I could do the rest of it. But he begins to produce his fruit. 2 Corinthians 3.16, the same letter to these people, he says, if I were to paraphrase, he says that the Holy Spirit is in you, transforming you gradually, day by day, more and more into the likeness and the image of Jesus. He is making you more and more like Jesus. So that we begin to reflect to the people around us what it is like, what Jesus is like through us. In the words of Paul in verse 21, we are becoming the righteousness of God. Literally, that's the work that he wants to have. That I exhibit the righteousness of God to people around me. In other words, what he's saying is, is when I come to know him, I should begin to model in my life what reconciliation looks like, which is the righteousness of God starts growing in my life. Does that make sense? So that's the third task of an ambassador is that I model him. I have a ministry of reconciliation. I have a message of reconciliation, and I'm to model that reconciliation. If I were to summarize these three tasks, it would be in this way. We are to both be the good news and to share the good news. We're to be the good news and to share the good news. And if you think about it, that is the job of a, a literal ambassador, that if you went and met an ambassador, you would find out no matter what country he came from, that his task is to a, be a representative of the one who sent him and also to be a messenger uh, for the person who sent him. He's a representative of, he's a messenger for. An ambassador both shows and shares. This is the job description of an ambassador. Let me talk for a minute about that showing. Because an ambassador is sent to represent their government, their country, their people, their values, their way of life, that it's to be lived out inside of them. If you were to show up in an embassy, I've never been in one, but I've seen photos. When you walk inside, you see the architecture of that country. You see the art of that country. A lot of times the ambassador wears the dress of that country. If you were to eat there, you would have the food of that country because part of what they're doing is they want to give you a taste of their culture. They want to show you what does their culture look like. And that's what we do as ambassadors. We are to show in our lives what Jesus is like, his kingdom, his kingdom values, that people should look at us and be like, I see in them a representation of Jesus. So they show, but they also, um, they also share, right? And by the way, the way we show, again, in our workplaces is by gardening and restoring, by being a priest, by being a king. When I'm doing those things, I'm showing 
what the kingdom of God is like. But ambassadors also share. When they are sent, they are sent with a message from their country, their government, their leader. Here's how you will represent us verbally. There's important things to us. We have priorities. We have purposes in our country. We have values. We want you to be the one to communicate those things to those people. So they have a message to share. And it's the same with us. God is calling on us as his people to share the message of reconciliation. To tell people the creator of the universe loves you and he created you. And we've, we've, we've rejected that because of our sin and have ruined the relationship. And, and we're separate from him. And Christ came and lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. to Reconcile me back to him. So please be reconciled, right? That's, that's what we share with people. And we do this in our workspaces when we act as prophet. When we strive to be people who bring the truth in whatever way is appropriate into our workspace. So, 12, that is our mission right there. That's it. That's our mission. That's what we're to be about. We are called to be ambassadors, to serve as his ministers and as his messengers. We're all ministers, right? Everybody here is a minister. And I really find it fascinating to this very day, if you were to go to an embassy, they call ambassadors, they call them ministers. Isn't that cool? They call their work ministry. That's what they call their work. And they talk a lot about, at an embassy, they talk about they have a mission. And the actual embassy place itself is called a mission. Is it not cool that that language is still used with ambassadors to this very day? And all of that translates so well into the spiritual life, I feel like. Now, if you're like me, I don't always feel competent as an ambassador. I feel like I fail a lot. I feel like half the time I don't know what to say, what to do. Do you ever feel that way? Am I the only one who doesn't totally feel competent? I just want to assure you of something. The Paul writing earlier in 2 Corinthians to a church that was really messed up. If you read First and 2 Corinthians, they were really messed up. But here he still says a very important thing to them in 2 Corinthians 3.6. He says, he, God has made us, made us what? Made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. He's made us competent. He is doing more in you and will do more through you than you can imagine if you'll just step into these roles. And if you'll trust him and you'll say, Holy Spirit, I need you to lead me. I need you to work for me. I'm going to step into this ambassador role. I don't feel competent, but I trust that you have made me competent through your spirit. And I want you to lead and guide me. Um, I want to share for a minute another couple that I wish I could have interviewed but couldn't. Um, for various reasons. And I just want to briefly tell you about how, to me, they embody um, being ambassadors, and they embody all of these roles. And I want to, I want to share specifically how I feel like that they do that. Um, it's Warren and Susie Harshman. I mentioned Susie a few weeks ago, about a month ago, a month and a half. Um, they grew up in Chase County, ended up buying um, Clovercliff and the whole ranch, including um, Clovercliff, which had been made into a bed and breakfast. You can see the big house on the left. They ended up building the pavilion, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. That's what you see on the right. Um, large piece of property. And when they got that, I mean, there was a whole auction thing going on, so they weren't even sure they would. But as soon as they got it, they, they won the bid. They immediately asked the question. They said, God, this has to be for a larger purpose than we can imagine. Would you please show us your purpose in this? Because we want this to be about the kingdom. And they became convinced it was about a place to advance the kingdom and to serve and love people well. And man, have they done it. They have been, um, they have been gardeners in that. 
That place, no blame on the previous owners, but the previous owners had left it sitting empty for eight years. It had become rodent-infested, termites had destroyed a lot of the outhouses and stuff, outer buildings, um, especially the bunkhouse if you've been there. Um, there were a few of our ladies at the church like 20, 25 years ago who did a retreat. I had only heard of Clovercliff. I didn't even know much about it, but they did a women's retreat, and it was going to be a sat Friday evening, all day Saturday, Sunday thing, I think. And they got there, and with an hour, rodents were all over the floor because uh, the rodents over there were pretty brave. And uh, so the women spent the whole time standing up on beds, on chairs. They didn't want to get on the floor and walk anywhere, and it kind of ruined the whole thing for them. They really weren't able to focus the way they wanted to. So Warren and Susie came in, and they took this place that had a lot of chaos, right? And as good gardeners, they brought order out of it. So they, they, they did so much construction. They rejuvenated the whole place. It, it was empty, had no furniture. They bought furniture that fit the 1800 period of when this got built. They tore out old trees that were dying. They planted new trees. They refurbished the whole thing. Not only that, they took stone from the local area, from Diamond Creek, and they built that pavilion. So they even created a new thing, right, bringing order out of chaos, they, a place up there, because a lot of people were having weddings, but they didn't have a venue. And what I really love is in their mind, when they talked to me, in creating that pavilion, it was not just for weddings. They wanted to bless Christian ministries with it. Um, so Pioneers Bible Translators, their whole staff have met in there twice. Um, several years ago, we used to take internationals to Passion Conference in Atlanta. Every year, we did that three or four years. For an old man like me, that was a long drive, especially on the tail of Bear Trap. If you don't know what that is, that thing itself was tiring. It was great. And so one year they offered it and they said, we're just going to offer it as a, you can do it on site somewhere. You can watch it free, online live and have the conference somewhere. And I didn't want to do it here because you need to get away. And I was praying for a place that we could actually do that. I had never met Warren and Susie, never met them. Um, I had looked, called camps. I couldn't find anything that could, that could have us, but also live stream at the same time. And I remember on a Friday night, I was just begging the Lord, you've got to give me a place because I don't know where to go. I can't find anything. That Sunday, our church had like a hot dog thing out there. Do you guys remember that? Eight, ten, nine years ago? I don't remember how long ago. They had a hot dog cook. So we show up, and I'd never actually been up there, and we walked in the pavilion, and I'm like, this thing's amazing. And they had Chiefs football playing, Sunday night football, up on the screen, and I'm like, they can live stream. And I'd never met them, and I went to them, and I said, we have some internationals. We're wanting to do this remote passion conference. Can we do it here? And they said, we would love for you to do it here. And they actually put us all up for free. I mean, it was amazing how they blessed us. So they created that pavilion. Um, I, I've kind of gotten a little bit off I, the, the pavilion for so many reasons. But here's one of the reasons they created it, is they said that Chase County really didn't have a big, large meeting space. They said there's some building. I don't know. It's like not a tin shed, but it's, it's just not the, the best space. I'm not sure what they were talking about. But they created that because they wanted to bless the whole county, which is what a restorer does, right? Living to seek the peace and prosperity of your city. So the different ways that they did that, they have functioned as restorers um, in lots of different ways. Um, that They've talked about that idea of being a taste of Eden, that how often People comment on that when they're there, how refreshing it is. But there's this sense of, this unique sense of peace they don't find in a lot of places like that. Well, it's because the Holy Spirit is working through them. And so they're shalom bringers, and they're intentionally doing that. Um, how Susie and Warren try to act as priests. So when they have guests there, a lot of times in conversation, they'll hear about a problem or a need in their life, and they will actually pray for them at that time, right? 
So they're, 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 they're doing that priestly role, um, that prophetic role of the word of God. Um, you run a bed and breakfast like that, you can't give the gospel too hard to too many people or they won't come back, right? You've got to be discerning. And they're very discerning in how they do that. Um, one, like they, they talk about, people ask them all the time, like, why, like you do this so well, what's your motivation, why are you doing this? And it's that essentially the Christ love compels us that, that God gave this to us and we want to serve and bless people and so this is just our service to God by loving you well. We love him by loving you well. That chance to kind of plant a seed, right? Um, Warren had a disc golf course built out back. It's really beautiful, that area. Four years ago, somebody told me it was ranked number one in Kansas and number 76 worldwide. And if you go and do their disc, anytime I go there, I always see people out doing disc golf there. At every hole where it shows you like where the, um, the tee is and, and where you're going to, there's, he has a scripture verse on every single hole. Again, intentionally planting seeds of the word of God in people's hearts so they connect that we're about Jesus. We love Jesus. If you go and stay in their rooms, on the wall, they've got pictures that have scripture verses on them. They've got Gideon Bibles in all the rooms. All these small ways that they're trying to be prophetic, to put the truth of the word of God into what they do. Um, man, I could, there's just so many ways I could talk about how they have really sought to use that place as ambassadors of Jesus, doing the ministry of reconciliation, modeling reconciliation, bringing the message of reconciliation, being gardeners, restorers, prophets, peace, priests, kings and queens. One more cool one. This summer, I was up there and I met a young man who was very troubled. And a friend had said, would you take this guy, let him live, th- live with you, work with you this summer, and would you mentor him? And they poured their lives and spent a lot of time with that young man, trying to help him um, get out of some things in his life that he had gotten into. And again, how they saw, they see that place as a place of kingdom work. So so cool what they're doing. So, all right, I need to get back to the text because Paul, there's one more point that Paul ends with. Chapter 6, verse 1, and it's the pitfall of an ambassador, the pitfall of an ambassador. Chapter 6, verse 1, and before I read it, I do want to say one thing because um, it's like in my Bible, the 6 is really big and there's a division, you know, between the two, that these chapter and verse markings were put in 500 years after Scripture was finished. 500 years after the early church. So Bible verses, the numbers are not inspired. And sometimes they made mistakes and they divided something that shouldn't have been. Verse 1 of chapter 6 actually goes with verse 5. So look at verse 1 with me. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace or gift, it can be translated either way, in vain or in a way that's empty or ineffective. Let me first notice he calls us his co-workers, which is awesome. Because we serve a God who works, and he calls me to work with him, so we're co-workers with him. I think that's cool. But most important, as his co-workers, Paul urges us not to receive God's grace in vain. And my question was, what grace, and how do we receive it in vain? And I think the grace, I don't think, the grace, the context is really clear. The gift that he's talking about is the gift of reconciliation with God through Jesus. It's the gift of salvation. He says, don't receive salvation in vain. Or in a way that's empty or ineffective. And here's how we do that. When we refuse to pass that gift on to others. When we refuse to pass that gift on to others. That's the pitfall of an ambassador. Is that I receive the gift of salvation, but it stops here with me. And it doesn't go to anybody else. And to me, this verse is Paul's reminder and challenge for us not to keep 
the gospel to ourselves, not to keep the gospel to ourselves. When Jesus sent the 12 on mission in Matthew 10, 8, he says, freely you have received, freely give, freely give. We are blessed to be a blessing, right? I am to be a conduit of the gospel, a flow through, not a terminal of the gospel. But I think a lot of us live that way. That's why in John 20, 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That Jesus said in Matthew 28, he says, go, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In Acts 1, 8, he says, I'll send my spirit. When he comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I mean, think about it. If you had cancer that was fatal and somebody gave you a miracle cure that totally cured you of it, would you not want to tell every person you met who had cancer about that cure? Would you not, would you, you would not keep that quiet, right? You would tell everybody you met. But we struggle to pass on the gift of life, the most important thing, the most life-giving thing in the world, eternal life, true life through Jesus. We struggle passing that on to people. Should we not even be more motivated than if we had, you know, the cancer cure? So the commitment of an ambassador, here's the commitment of an ambassador of Paul's life that he's calling it to us, is that we refuse to allow the good news of Jesus to simply stop with us, that I refuse to allow it to stop here. So that's the five things I learned from this text. The heart motivation of an ambassador, the posture, the mindset, the work of an ambassador, those three tasks, that I have a ministry of reconciliation, a message of reconciliation, that I model that, and then the pitfall, that I refuse to let the gospel stop with me. So, 12th, we're called to be on mission with Jesus. All of us. Specifically, we're called to be ambassadors. Called to be ambassadors. And if we're ambassadors, do you know what that makes your workspace? What's that make your workspace? An embassy. You nailed it. Your workspace is an embassy. I want you to leave here and have a new vision of your work and of your your workspace that you show up every day and you're like, I'm an ambassador of Jesus and this place that I'm at right now, this is an embassy. This is an embassy and try to live that way. And again, this goes for everybody. It's not just for work. It's for those of you in a classroom, students. It's for people who are retired who still have areas of influence. It's for those of you that are staying at home right now. For all of us, that I see myself as an ambassador and that space where I have influence as an embassy. I'm an ambassador, 12th, you're an ambassador. This text is for all of us. So 12th, I just want to remind all of us, uh, your work matters. It really matters. It really, really matters. And that God matters to your work. That's why I did this whole series. And because really, the most important work of the church is the church at work. Do you really know that? The most important work of 12th is not what happens in here. It's what you do out there. That's the work of the church. So go out and live as an ambassador. Um, to help you with that, I had three people after the new year who emailed me, called me, texted me. Said, I've gone through Christmas, I've gone through New Year. I want to carry the vision of what you talked about into my work, but I don't remember all of it. Could you create something? And so because of that request, if you, if you have the notes page, it's on the back bottom of that. You can fold that in half and take it with you. 
Um, on your way out, I've got a card I made that talks about, it's a reminder that our work matters, that I'm an ambassador, a gardener, a store, a prophet, priest, king, and queen, and what that looks like. Just as a way when you show up that you can, you can remind yourself, this is who I am, this is how I have impact. It's something you can set on your computer screen, on your desk, um, who knows, maybe it could even become something somebody notices and like, what is that? And a chance to even share about, I love and follow Jesus, and this is how I seek to have an impact for him, because he's changed my life, right? So on the way out, you can grab one of these, they're on the back. So would you stand? I want to pray for you, over you. Father, thank you for this amazing calling you've put on us, that you've created us, among other things, to be your ambassadors. What an honor and a privilege. It's also scary at times, so I thank you that Though I don't always feel it, you've made me competent to be a minister for you. I just pray that you would help us to do this as a body, Lord, that the gospel wouldn't stop with us, that we would avoid that pitfall, but that carrying that mindset of an ambassador and that, that, that posture, Lord, and um, that heart motivation that we would do the work of an ambassador. We would do that ministry of reconciliation, that carry the message and that we would model what reconciliation looks like to people. So empower us, Lord. We're desperately in need of you. But I pray that you would make 12th a place of people that are doing your work outside of this space in the places where we have influence. And so I pray this in the name of Jesus, the sent one. Amen. All right, 12th. Uh, I need to do one more commissioning. I commission all of you as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. So 12th, you're sent to be ambassadors in all of your embassies, okay? God's grace to you.